When I was 29 years old, Beth and I started a church in Gallatin. And we were real excited about that. Personally, that was a goal of mine. I think it was a God goal, but I, I wanted to start a church before I was the age of 30. And we started with an incredible group of people. A handful are still scattered between these two services, and it was great. We started at Guild Elementary School, and then we ended up at what is now Station Camp Middle School. And it was a great group, and I was full of vision and ideas, and I filled this group up with vision for the future, and that vision was from God. I even had some prophetic words given that have come true about our church. But in the third year, we had a kind of a problem. The problem was I had filled these people with vision for the future, but we were stuck. Some things had happened. The economy had changed where the real estate market had, had the crash had begun and plans for building a building were not looking good at all. I had been given some bad advice and a whole bunch of people approved that bad advice. And then ultimately as a young leader, uh, I was responsible. And this is what I had done. I had got a group of people and created a big vision for them. And we were looking at years of setup and tear down. And that's not what they were expecting. So I felt kind of stuck. I wasn't sure what to do. And then in December of 2007, the church that you're sitting in right now, I talked to one of their board members. They talked about me becoming the pastor of this church that had not had a pastor for a couple of years and merging our churches together. So we had some secret meetings and I looked to see what that was about. And then the first week of January, I presented it to the board of the church plant in Gallatin. And I kind of said, hey guys, I have this crazy idea. They were all men on the board at that time. I said, this crazy idea you may not be open for, but there's a church in Hendersonville who may want to merge with us. And then I got really worried because that group got so excited about the, the potential merge that I was like, oh no, are they about to sign off here? They're like, oh yeah, we need to do that. That would be great. We definitely need to do that. And, and then I was at a position, I was like, oh no, I have to make this happen or we have to make this happen. And it was the Lord's will. So Super Bowl Sunday, 2008, we had a combined service that only had one service, and we had about 250 people at that service. And then that Wednesday, um, the Hope Center right here, I'm standing right here, and there was about 30 people here. They voted for me to become pastor. And then that Thursday at the Glen Oaks Clubhouse, the church in Gallatin voted to merge with this church, and there we were. And Part of the story is this. When this building was built in 2003, I was a youth pastor in Madison. I came and toured this building, and I loved it. In fact, I thought, if I ever pastor a church, at that time I didn't imagine it being in this area. I thought it would be somewhere else and maybe another state, most likely. I said, if I ever pastor a church, I would want to build a building like this one. And then five years later, here I was, the pastor of this church. Amazing. I went from, in seven days, being overwhelmingly stressed. I mean, to the point of, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how I was going to lead this people. And at that time, I was 31 years old. And I'm like, what, what am I going to do? How, how am I going to um, fix this problem, so to speak? 
No, God had a plan all along, did he? Did he not? He sure did. But I didn't know that. I didn't know that until this happened. And there was a verse that meant a lot to me then and described the way I felt that Super Bowl Sunday in 2008 and the subsequent Sunday, which is our first Sunday. And here's the verse, Psalms 126. It says, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Our mouths were filled with laughter then and our tongues with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We were joyful. And that happening over really eight days was one of the most joyful occurrences of my life. Now, part of God's will is this. Right after all the joy of that, there were a whole line of problems outside my office door. (laughs) And then it was just like a lot of hard work and a lot of turmoil after that. So sometimes the will of God, you get that initial joy and then it's hard work after that. Okay, so... So that's, maybe that's not really the point of the sermon, but maybe that will encourage somebody today that you can be in the will of God and it's still hard. You can be in the will of God and it's still work. You can be in the will of God and there's still problems to solve. But what was going on in Psalm 126, obviously they weren't talking about this um, church merge in, here in Tennessee. But talking about something that happened about 600 years before Jesus came to earth is that the Jewish people were conquered by the Babylonians. And as part of their humiliation, the Babylonians took all of the talent, uh, those who were talented in the arts and what we would call the science today, the political leaders and those that were not killed, were taken to Babylon. Babylon is in modern-day Iraq, which is a long way from Israel now, from Jerusalem. But in those days, hundreds, really thousands of years ago, it was an unfathomable distance. And for 70 years, the Jewish people and their leadership was in Babylon. And then the Persians came and conquered Babylon. And a king named Cyrus changed everything. Cyrus began to let the Jews return to their home. Incidentally, this is just a little extra credit here. You know, Harry Truman was the first world leader to recognize the Jewish state of Israel in 1948. And Harry Truman had grown up in Sunday school in Independence, Missouri. And he did this against the advice of his cabinet and his national security. He recognized Israel and Harry Truman called himself Cyrus. He said, I am Cyrus. He had been to Sunday school. So if you don't think that working with kids makes a difference and teaching them Bible stories, the Bible story you teach a child today may change the world 50 years from now. So keep it up, keep it up. So when Cyrus released the Jews to return to the homeland, they went back kind of um, in phases. There was a trickle back to Jerusalem. And so here it is, this psalm is remembering what happened. And they were remembering this story. And it makes me remember my story, my story of, and Beth and I's story about this church merge. And, you know, there's a lot more important stories out there than just churches merging. Um, There's stories out there, some that I know, most that I don't, that you guys have. Stories of unexpected pregnancies, story of unexpected healings, 
you were sick and one day the sickness was gone. Stories of adoptions that came out of nowhere. When one day you were without a child, boom, you were with a child. There's stories of single adults who were one day just having no hope of a spouse and then all they had to do is meet that one person and the story changed instantly. There's stories in your business about how one customer changed everything. You know, things can change really fast. Things can change really fast. What is interesting about the Jewish people is they knew God had promised that the exile wouldn't be past 70 years. And they knew God was faithful. And they expected God to rescue them. But when it actually happened, it was almost unbelievable. It was like a dream. You have a story like that. If you think about it hard enough, you'll, you'll, one may be coming to your mind now, one may come to your mind later, of when something just happened, and even though you knew it had the potential to happen, and even though you knew God had promised it would happen, when it actually happened, it felt like a dream. You're like, are you kidding me? This, this, is, this, is, this is surreal. This is like, this is totally God. This is totally God. I think about Tracy, the speaking you're doing right now in public schools. And I got to hear Tracy and, and her partner. She's working under Stephanie Williams speak at Portland Middle School. And you're like, wow, I remember when they dreamt, dreamt of this. And then out of nowhere, God opened the door. These things do happen. These things do happen. And, and I believe the Lord wants you to remember those things. The Lord wants you to remember those things. Because when we remember, it glorifies God. Here's our first point today. As we talk about, the, the title of my message is Restored, Restore Again. We're restored, restore again. And here's the first part of our restoration. Restoration is your story. And you all have a story. Every one of you has a story. Some of your stories are unfolding right now. Some of, your story, some, some of you are in, the, in maybe a challenging part of your story. I think all of us, if we, we are in the mindset to reflect, we can find our story. And all of us, if we're believers, we have an unbelievable story. We were in bondage, now we're sons and we're daughters. We were in chains, now we're free. We were slaves, now we're adopted. And we have the inheritance of the Father. We all have a remarkable story. And that's why regular worship is so important because it reminds us of the story. We sing our story. And then we go to this ancient text, the Bible, which guides our lives. And the stories of what God did guides us. And so we see ourselves in the story of Abraham. We see ourselves in the story of Rahab. We see ourselves in the story of Joshua and in the story of the disciples and in Paul. We see ourselves in the story of Esther. And we realize that these men and women in the Bible were no different than us. I want you to hear that. They're no different than us. They had the human frailties we have. You know what? how they're like us is they know the same God that we know. The same God that was involved in their lives, that same God's involved in our lives. And the same God who performed miracles for them will perform miracles for us. And the same God who helped them endure suffering will help us endure suffering with grace and strength and with love. It's the story. Redemption is our story. And, and we remember that over and over again. One of the reasons when we go back to communion and we go back to the bread and the cup and we taste the bread and we drink the cup and we, it forces us, we're gonna focus on Jesus today. It doesn't matter if 
if the preacher got his sermon off the internet or out of Reader's Digest or if he just, you know, is shooting from the hip today and did a terrible job. When we go back to communion, it centers us on Jesus, right? The taste of the bread and the taste of the cup, the physical sense lets us know that our faith is about him. Our faith is about Jesus. And Jesus has that story. It's the ultimate story. It's the story of creation itself. It's a story of humanity. It's a story of the whole universe. God becoming man. God laying down his life for us. God not just dying, but God resurrected and alive. And because he's alive, he's resurrecting things within us too. This is the story that we have. And so I I, I want to encourage you to think about the relationship with God. Don't forget what he's done. And I want you to know this, is that whenever you come to this church, Whenever you sit in this building, this building may not seem like much to some. To the consumer critic, they could come in and say, well, they need to paint this wall and they need to straighten the chairs better. And there's no doubt many physical things we can work on around here. But I'm going to tell you this is that for this pastor and for me, every time you come to this church, you're sitting in the middle of a miracle. And I'm going to tell you this. I have never gotten used to being the pastor of this church. I've never taken taken this property for granted. I've never taken this building for granted. And more important to that, with God's help, I've never, and I hope I never do, take you for granted. Because a church without you here is nothing but a building. This building is here to house us, to house our community, to house who we are. And and, and the story is unfolding for us. And it's good to remember sometimes what he did. Remember the time that you experienced salvation. Remember the time that you had that devotion and it was like a clear word from God for you. Remember the time that sermon touched you. Remember that time when someone gave you that timely piece of advice that kept you from ruining your life. That was God. That was your story, redemption story. And and then there's those key moments in your life. And if, if you haven't had one of them that's coming, if you haven't had one of them that's coming, when it's something that's just greater than you can imagine. See, this story is connected with with us here today, with my pastorate here, but I've got lots of greater stories. When my son was healed, when I I watched my son's soft palate move after it had been paralyzed, that, that that was incredible. It was like I was dreaming. And God did something. God did something amazing. More important to that is when I see my kids love God and have character, that's much greater than anything physical when they had the love of the Lord in them. So let's remember the stories. Let's read that again, verse one through three. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Who dream. Another version says dream, and that's the way I memorized it. So our mouths were filled with laughter then and our tongues with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We were joyful. So that's the past, right? Now look how the scripture changes tones in verse 4. Let's look at verse 4. Now, instead of the past, the Lord says this. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like water courses in the Negev. Restore our fortune, Lord, like water courses in the Negev. Here's the second thing I want you to write down is restoration is your expectation. You see, once restoration is your story, once you know that you have a story, you have a testimony, 
you have something that you can remember that God has done for you. And the greatest thing he's done for you is your salvation. There's nothing greater. And all of the other things that he's done, the touches of his, the touches of salvation that come as grace is received when we worship together. Grace is received when we have devotions. Grace is received when we hear a worship song on the radio that touches our soul. Grace is received when the innocent love of a child makes us want to be more innocent. That's what grace is. Grace isn't a one-time event. Grace is everyday reality. We breathe in his grace. Everything we have is a gift from God. It's his grace upon our life. And so it is that when grace is in our life and we remember that story and we remember that redemption has a past, now we know redemption has a present reality. And so we pray and we pray in faith and we pray in expectation and we say this, restore our fortunes, Lord. Okay, God, you did that in our past. Now, God, it's not just good enough to keep that in the past. God, do it today. God, it's not good enough just to be a distant story. God, I want you here right now. I want you to do something in my present reality. I want you to do something in what I'm dealing with right now. Let me parallel this with, with my story. Well, first, let me tell you more about verse four. The Negev region was south of Jerusalem. It was dry. It was arid. It was an unproductive place until the rainy seasons came. And when the rainy seasons came, it would flood, it would overtake, it would saturate the ground. Uh, dry creek beds that had not seen water began to flow freely and even overcome their banks. And the abundance of rain changed the whole area each season. So here it is. The people are praying this and they're praying a couple of things. They're saying, God, we've come in like a trickle. And when we came into Jerusalem, our mouths was filled with laughter. When we came in, it was like a dream. But Lord, there's still more who need to come in. There's still more stuck in Babylon. There's still more that need to come in. And so it is, this appeals to the part of us who know his love, but also because we know his love, we must share his love. I'm so grateful for what we have. I'm so grateful for what God has done in us. I'm so grateful for the community we have here. And I'm grateful for my salvation. But it's not satisfactory enough for me to just be content with my present state. It is not acceptable for me to say, well, I got that group out of the middle school into this beautiful building into the best location in Hendersonville, in my opinion, into a place that physically has all this potential. It's not satisfactory for me to just say, well, hey, until I retire, until you guys get me a sheet cake out in the lobby and it's time for me to collect social security, I'm just gonna preach nice little sermons and just enjoy being together. That's not good enough. Restore our fortunes, God, like you do in the south part of our land when the rains come and it overflows. We need more. We need more. There's something within us that can't be satisfied with the past. We can appreciate the past. And the past can cause us to worship God. 
And the past can point to God's character. And the past can remind us if we've been redeemed once, he's going to redeem the situation again. If God came through once before, his character says he's going to come through again. But I'm not going to stay in the past. I'm not going to live in the past. I'm not going to be satisfied in the past because verse 4 says, restore God our fortunes. Do what you did back then today. Do what you did for us for somebody else. This is the cry of our hearts that while we enjoy God, he is to be enjoyed by multitudes beyond us. So I, I want to call you to pray in and believe for the return of exiles of your sons and your daughters, of your grandsons and granddaughters, of your parents, of your friends. I'm going to call those who work with teenagers to expect God to fill this property with hundreds of teenagers on a regular basis. Why? Because hundreds of teenagers need to hear the message of Jesus. And, and all of the youth groups combined in this city is not putting a legitimate dent in the amount of kids who need to be discipled. Every single youth group in this city could prosper and be filled and there would still be more teenagers to reach. Same with the churches. As well as this city is represented in churches, and I love cooperating with our churches, if every one of our churches prospered and was filled to capacity, multiple services, we'd still need more churches to reach all the people who need to be in the house of God. And this is not just for people who don't believe, right? This is not just for people who don't believe. I need to like pause so you can start to clap, all right? I got an amen corner, all right. <laughs> see, see, what you got to learn when you're preaching, unless you kind of pause and catch your breath and let the clap go, if you keep going, then it just, it doesn't, it doesn't go that way. But here, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Every church in our city, which is a well-represented city, could prosper and we still have people to reach. But it's not just the unbelievers. It's the lukewarm Christians. Let me tell you where Satan is deceiving our nation. It's lukewarm Christians who don't go to church anymore, who aren't faithful in church. This is a huge problem. And whether it's lukewarm or whether it's burnt or whether they're hurt, and I say it with compassion, all I know is God's people need to get back in church. And I say that, I say that um, in a pastoral way to call you back in, to call you to be faithful to the things of God. I mean, if, if we don't value the things of God, why would the rest of culture value the things of God? If we're so attached to worldly things that the kingdom of God just becomes a convenience, that we just adhere to the things of God when it's convenient for us or when it fits into our schedule or when it doesn't cost us something, how in the world is God going to change our nation if we don't allow him to even change us? And so I say restore, God. I hear of the move of God in the 1970s. I, hear, I read about church attendance being at 40% in the 1950s. And I know each of those decades have significant civic problems. But when it comes to those specific things, I say, God, restore church attendance the way it used to be in America. God, restore a hunger for the Holy Spirit like it was 40 years ago. God, restore it. Don't let our generation miss it. Don't let us pass by. Let us not just drift away into mediocrity and just let our nation just bow to Satan and bow to his way and bow to his kingdom. 
You know, when we begin to be more concerned about the spiritual condition of our nation than we are the financial condition of our nation, then we may start praying the right way. See, it's not about politics and it's not about the economy. It's about the heart and the heart is deceitful. And God's people need to start with repentance. This nation needs to repent, starting with the house of God. And we're so busy judging the culture that we can't see ourselves that we are in deception on our own. We're in deception. We are deceived. We are deceived by our own lack of attention to the things of God. Wait a second. This wasn't in the notes here, huh? Some, <laughs> Teresa, I need to pay you to come to church every week. <laughs> every or both services. Here's the last point. Restoration is your future. Restoration is your future. Redeemed, restored. Because we're restored, he will restore again. Here's a word from God for you in Psalm 126, verse 5. Those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. Now, this is something that I just want to encourage you. This may be a specific word from God for you. You may need to write this down like Dr. Oliver encouraged us to last month on a five by seven card or through some kind of digital uh, way that you can type it in to where you can see this because I know some of you are really sad right now and for legitimate reasons. And this is a promise from God for you that God sees your tears and God knows about your grief and he has a plan and he is going to redeem you again. The one who restored you will restore again. God will because he's restored you in your relationship with God, because there's examples through the scripture, because there's examples by the testimony of believers, because there's an example in your own story, the same God who restored once before will restore again. And though, verse six, though one goes along weeping, carrying the bag of seed, he will surely come back with shouts of joy, carrying his sheaves. Now, there's a couple of interpretations here that I think are equally valid and equally helpful to us. First of all, I want to talk to those of us who are not where we should be with God and we are believers. The passion for God is not where it used to be. And the love for God and the love for his people is not at the level that it was at one time. And some of you have been in your own personal Babylon. It's like an exile. And maybe you were forced into exile. Maybe, maybe, maybe you just were, just, you were carried along. Let's just put it that way. And you went out sowing in tears. You went out sowing in tears. But you're going to, the Lord is calling you back. He's calling you back to his church. He's calling you back to his kingdom. He's calling you back to his purposes. And this is one of the ways he's applying this to you today. He says, if you want what you used to have, you have to do what you used to do. And you can't expect to reap the joy if you're not willing to sow the seeds. You're not going to get the joy unless you have the tears. You see, when God is in charge of the tears, they're good tears. Tears of intercession, tears of burden, tears of hard work. 
sowing seeds, sowing seeds that need to be sown. The Lord says this, do you want what you had when you were released from captivity? Do you want a spiritual flood to relieve your dryness and bareness? Then here is what you must do. You must sow in tears. If you will sow in tears, I promise that you will reap in joy. He says this, that if you want that same crop of joy, that same vibrancy, you're going to have to sow the same seeds. But if you're unwilling to sow the same seeds, you're going to have nothing to look forward to in the future except the same thing that you have right now. So I just, I just charge you as your pastor, if you're visiting, as just hopefully as, as someone is speaking in your life for this morning, to do the things God's called you to do and to stay faithful, sow the seed, sow the tears, because your future has joy and your future has fruitfulness. Now, some of you have done all of this and you've been faithful. You've been faithful to the Lord and you're in a season of tears. I just want you to know, as surely as God is true, as surely as God is alive, as surely as there is a resurrection that we celebrate every day, every Sunday, and we'll specifically celebrate on Easter, that it's coming back to you. It's coming back to you. The Lord's going to bring back those things that you've entrusted to him. That every tear of intercession you've prayed for someone who is rebellious against God, that same person is going to bring you joy. That same person is going to bring you joy. I, I want to speak to this. I felt this um, in the first service today. You know, it wasn't in my preparation, it wasn't in my notes, but there are a lot of tears of grief here. A lot of tears of grief. And the Lord wants you to know this, is that he, he is compassionate towards your tears of grief. And listen, the tears of grief, there's going to be a restoration. There's going to be a joy. That's the promise we have. That the tears of grief that we have, there's going to be a joy, especially when we've lost loved ones. We've lost a spouse. We've lost a parent, a grandparent. We've lost an adult child. We've lost a child in infancy. All of these things are painful. All these things are so painful. And I don't try to minimize this. I don't try to just throw a scripture at you and say, say, well, the pain's not going to be real. I'm going to promise you this, that whatever you sow in tears, if Jesus is watching over it, you're going to reap in joy. There's a promise. He's gone before us to prepare a place for us, and he's going to restore all things. He's going to restore all things. And those relationships that you feel like have been stolen from you are going to be restored. You're going to see your father. You're going to see your mother. You're going to see your child again. You're going to, you're going to see fully what Jesus had planned. Isn't that a great hope we have in him? Isn't that a great hope? Amen. I believe this too. I believe that some of us are in relationship with people that we've never seen reach their potential. We've never seen them reach their potential for whatever reason. It's most likely choices they've made. And they, they've, they've been, maybe it's been an addiction. Maybe it's been just, just things in their life they haven't dealt with. And we love these people, these people, these believers. This is what I believe, that in heaven, for sure, if we don't see it here on earth, for heaven, for sure, we're going to see a full restoration. And you're going to see that person in your life fully as God has called them to be. You're going to see them set free of that addiction. You're going to see them set free of those habits that are destructive to relationships. You're going to see Jesus restore all things. Our hope is not in that person. Our hope is in the God who loves that person more than we love. Our hope is that our lost ones who have gone before us, God loves them more than we love them. 
Our hope is in that broken relationship that we've apologized for, that we've tried to ask for redemption, and it's just never going to be the same again. That's only on this earth. God's going to make it, and he's going to restore it in heaven where there is no resentment, where there is no bitterness, where there is no divide. The Lord the Lord's going to restore all things. That's what the atonement is. That's who our God is. The story is not over, people. That we have a reason to hope. We have a reason that when we cry, that those tears we cry today, we're going to reap those tears in much greater joy sometime in this life and certainly in the next life. And that gives us hope for another day. You're going to see them again. You're going to see her again. You're going to be together again. And it's going to be better than ever. Our relationships will not be jilted and will not be tainted by sin. Our relationships will be pure under his leadership. And that's the hope that we have.